This podcast is brought to you by Pragmatic Solutions, the leading iGaming PAM platform with a modular approach, including many benefits like a fast, secure, and scalable API-based platform integrated with all major third-party products and services. Make sure you head over to Pragmatic Solutions and join our smart thinking. Hello, everybody. Today, we are talking to Pete Laverick from InclineBet here on the IGN Marketing Podcast. We are going to talk about everything related to U.S. marketing, uh, meaning what is the current state of play, what are the CPAs, what are the LTVs, how do you handle bonus abuse, MarTech, and a lot of other good stuff. So if you're into U.S. Uh, marketing or related to a U.S. operator, this is definitely the podcast for you. Enjoy. Today, I'm super excited because I'm here with you, Pete uh, Laverick, uh, founder and CEO of InclineBet, marketing service provider based in the U.S., Hey, morning, Michael. How are you, Peter? You okay? Doing well. Very early, very early, but we get used to that um, based on the West Coast. You're West Coast, so you would be, what, nine hours uh, behind uh, Malta would be my guess, something like that. So very, nine very, hours, yeah, yeah. Very, very early days. So yeah, thank you for making the effort and, uh, and, uh, and starting so, so early. Uh, hopefully you had a, a morning coffee to start up with. We are ready to go. Okay. <laughs> Fantastic. Cool. Pete, let's start with, uh, if you don't mind doing the one-minute introduction of yourself. You've been in the industry for, uh, I think, 22 years or something like that. But if you can do us the one-minute uh, uh, version, that would be fantastic. Yeah, even more, I think. I think it's 20, 27 now. Um, I, oh. So I grew up, uh, for, you know, I'm based in California now. This is not a California accent, as you've probably already determined. Um, so I grew up in northeast of England. Um, in Teesside, and my mom and dad always worked within bookmaker, and you know, they were with Ladbrokes, William Hill. So I started at Ladbrokes when I was 18 years old, part-time job while I was at university. Um, then moved to Gibraltar in 2001 with a company called Stan James that doesn't doesn't exist today, the brand, but was very instrumental in in a lot of uh, innovation at that time. You know, we were the first to offer in-play um, on a, on a range of sports that you know now would seem it's one percent of what's offered now, but was very um, very industry changing at the time. Um, I then had a couple of years back in the UK with a company called Littlewoods that many UK listeners wouldn't remember as the the lot, the um, pools provider, football pools provider. Started a company called Bet Direct. Um, then I had um, a, a major part of my career with Victor Chandler, now known as Bet Victor, um, where you know we we had that was from I guess 2004 to 2010. Um, and ended up uh, running the marketing department there. I uh, worked very closely with Victor himself and learned, learned a lot during that time. Um, and then in 2010, absolutely out of the blue, in August 2010, I was offered, got a phone call, offered a job in Las Vegas working for IGT. Um, now, it was a very different time then. Visas, you know, maybe a lot of people who have inquired about visas and they're very um, difficult to obtain. 2010 was, was a much easier ride. And within six weeks, myself, the family, uh, we'd relocated from the south of Spain to um, Las Vegas. And I've been been on the west coast of the U.S. ever since. Um, you know, I remember when I when I moved in 2010, um, my uh, then boss and um, now business partner said to me, you know, in, in six months, this is all going to be legal. Um, <laughs> and that was that was October 2010. And we, we only had to wait about eight, eight and a half years. But he um, was right in the end. We got there in the end. Yeah. So after that, uh, I then spent three years at IGT, uh, six years at a startup called Bet America, um, which had a lot of success in horse racing, which was horse racing still very much the 
um, the unknown gem of the, the US market, highly profitable online gaming business. Um, that was We exited that business 2018, then had a couple of years in social casino. Um, and in 2019, started working with the Connexus Group Partner Solutions as a consultant. And from there, um, organically grew InclineBet, um, which was a need from the partners who we worked with on a consultant business um, and a recruitment basis through Pentasia. Um, there was a, a requirement or a need in the market for fully managed services, um, a fully managed market and services provider that you know had been seen in the European markets previously and in Latin American markets, but had not really been seen in the US market. Fantastic, very good, and that's a that's a great segue into uh, incline bed as well. So maybe you can uh, just uh, give us the brief intro to 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 your company as well. Yeah, so so as I said, we it, it was organically grown from working as a consultant with several land based casinos, several large land based casinos in the US, um, who were you know not always interested in the, the the option of selling that market access, selling that license to a major national provider. Um, so these were casinos who, who have very strong local brands, strong local databases, um, had everything they needed to be an online provider, but they didn't have that those online marketing skills, and it was very difficult to get them. And you know, mm. coming back to the visa question, and I'll probably come back to that a lot because it's 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 a real key element of the U.S. market over a lot of the skills, experience, talent are in Europe, and how much of that could come into this market. Um, and at that time, we had a, we had a different president. You may remember a few years ago, he wasn't very keen on on letting people in. Um, so at that time, it was really, really difficult, um, 18, 19, 20. It was really, really difficult to bring skilled, experienced people in. I'd built up a network of people who had worked in real money game and in marketing. Um, many of them had worked for me over the past um, eight, nine years. So we we uh, brought a few of that team back together, um, and we created a team which it offers user acquisition services, CRM services, a little bit of product consultancy. We can essentially run, uh, you know, or commercial aspects of a online casino. Um, and since then, we've now progressed to, I think we have 23 staff at the moment, um, working on about 13 brands in the US and Canada. We're also live in Ontario now, primarily focused on casino. Didn't think that at the start, thought it would be sports, but we, we naturally led to casino. Um, and we, you know, we've had a lot of success with a lot of uh, successful clients and brands that, that we still work with today. Fantastic. Fantastic. Very good. Yeah, and this is the, the marketing uh, podcast. So when we speak about the US, we're going to deep dive a little bit into into the marketing side of the market. So, so like I mentioned doing the before we started here, Pete, like I said, at least for me, I think, there's, you know, for anyone who's not working with the US market on a, on a day to day basis, um, I think there was, you know, that we were hearing a lot about the marketing side and the ex insane CPAs and and uh, and also lifetime values of players, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, maybe a year back, a year and a half back, and um, since then it's somewhat calmed calmed down, or it's not uh, uh, the headline news anymore, so to speak. Um, but it would be fantastic, Pete, if you could maybe just start with like, you know, your. Uh, state of the union like how is the marketing landscape uh, in the u.s at the moment in terms of uh, acquiring new players and uh, and sort of any other things you can think of what's the what's the summary yeah i th I, I think we'll probably you'll probably hear me differentiate sportsbook and casino as well i think they're they're very different and sometimes we we merge them too far together but they're very different demographics very different industry dynamics you know on sportsbook we've got three brands control and probably 90% of the market, and they probably control about 60% on the casino. So they are very different. Um, I think demographically-wise, 
and I, I don't really have any any sources, but from my personal opinion, uh, there's a, a far greater crossover of sportsbook to casino in Europe than there is in the US. Mm-hmm. You know, the US has has a, a very strong slots tradition, and if you mm-hmm. just take the eye test in any casino in Europe versus any casino in the US, there's a much higher proportion of slots in a US yeah. casino. Yeah. Um, so, so we'll probably keep coming back referring to that. But if we start with sportsbook. Um, I think that, I mean, there had to be a slowdown. They, they could not continue the spend and the CPA levels that were ongoing. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the beauties of having a very new industry is that you can kind of create your own lifetime values. Yeah, There's no mm-hmm. real official lifetime value to peg your CPAs to. Mm-hmm. But after three or four years, you know, you're now getting those CPAs. Sorry, you're getting those lifetime values. And I, I think, you know, most would probably um, admit that they're not as high as they initially. You know, there were some investor docs out there in 2018 that some of the the big guys were saying two and a half thousand dollar customer lifetime values and things like that. And I think anyone who'd worked in the European market knew that was, that was um, pretty unlikely. Mm. So we've seen, we've, we've seen a slowdown in what I would call land grab spend. Land grab spend is essentially where a marketing team gets, you know, size of, I mean, we're talking 800, $900 million budgets. Some of these, the big guys were having, and they were just splashed everywhere. And mm-hmm. you know, I'm in California, you know, there's no legal sports betting in California, mm-hmm. but for a period of a year or two, every time I turned on a sporting program, there was a, a commercial from PointsBet or Caesars or, you know, it was just this land grab that was spreading way beyond what it needed to. Yeah. What we've seen is re- there's definitely been a refocus of that. You know, there's definitely been a focusing of spend, a tightening up of spend. Um, you know, tradition, that means that some of the traditional media is probably the first that comes under pressure. So sponsorships. Um, TV commercials, that type of stuff. I think there's definitely been a tightening there. Um, the digital markets, they appear to be as strong as ever. Um, we spend the vast majority of our investments on um, Facebook, Google, Apple. Those markets are still still very strong, but they do offer a, a different level of tracking mm-hmm. than a sponsorship or, or that type of thing would work. One, one of the other things which is really important, the differentiation between the two is that I talk, I use this kind of self-proclaimed line of the water level of a CPA. And when we've got 90% of the market dominated by three brands, you know, the CPAs are really determined by what they're willing to spend in the market. Mm-hmm. Because if they're putting in 90% of the spend and getting out 90% of the revenue, mm-hmm. and they're happy with a CPA of $600 on sports, which wasn't mm-hmm. unusual, mm-hmm. Um, then that means that everyone else, you know, even if you're, if you're the best marketer in the world and you can achieve a 10% deduction on the average CPA, if their water level is 600, that means you can only bring in a 540. Uh, at, a, at a decent scale, you know, anybody mm-hmm. can run a two thousand dollar campaign and, and get mm-hmm. hundred dollar CPAs. Mm-hmm. So I think that has certainly happened. Now, what happens now is, you know, those the big three are very settled um, and getting more sensible, let's call it, or more um, commercially savvy in market. Uh, now we've got the dynamic of Bet three six five and Fanatics entering the market. Um, and I know Bet three six five have been here for many years, but seriously entering the market yet yeah, to, to because we everybody knows how successful they are around the world. Um, and they've never really, they haven't put the foot on the accelerator in the U.S. as yet. So, you know, what happens now when we potentially have five in Sportsbook, I think that's key. Casino, a um, little bit different. I think casinos was a little bit more digitally focused. You know, I, I go back to my social casino days that very few social casinos ever ran TV or sponsorships or anything like that. It was all mm. hardcore digital user acquisition spend. So I think casino, it's a little bit, um, it's a little bit easier to control your own destiny. You know, there's a little bit, there's a lot more um, nuances that you can use. And we have a, a very, a very experienced and skilled team that do that with Facebook and Google. Mm. 
Um, so I don't think the big three impact that as much. However, the one thing I would say is that over the last 12 to 18 months, as there's been an increased focus on profitability from the major brands, they have turned their attention to casino more. So the first, you know, 2000, especially 2021, when everybody was focused on sports, but casino was a, a very, um, a very fertile ground for marketing. Um, it's got a little bit tougher as some of the some of them budgets have moved across, um, and seasonally as well. You know, we see seasonally that we had the NBA finals finish uh, a couple of nights ago. Typically, then we'll see a lot of the sportsbook budgets might move to casino. So, yeah, I think that this, this, the products on offer have been excellent. I think that's overlooked. I know we're talking marketing here, but the quality of products that have been offered in the in the US market are, are really strong, really, really strong, um, and far stronger than anyone expected. If anyone had ever played the historical um, Nevada sports betting apps, and there was a long time when we thought those were the apps that were going to come for the rest of the country. So the product's been very strong. The Europeans brought that um, particularly, that excellence across. Nice. So a ton of things to dig into there. But before we get carried away, um, is there like a number? Is there like an average CPA for sports betting and casino that you would say is sort of the the benchmark today in the, in the US market? Yeah, I, every state's slightly different. So, you know, if there's a, you know, we have a, the US for, I always talk to people about the US. The US is essentially Europe, but everybody speaks the same language. So it's yeah. 50 states that are really 50 countries. Yeah. But everybody, we all speak the same language, which is the, which is the difference. Um, because of that, we do get different um, economic factors in each state. So we have some very rich states and some much poorer states. Um, I would say that in general, the figures that I hear, this is not my clients in particular or anything, but in general, I hear that people are willing to pay uh, 300 to 350 for a sportsbook client at the moment mm -hmm. and about 600 to 700 for a casino client at the moment. Mm -hmm. um, and there, that's roughly re reflected in the affiliate values that are out there at the moment as well. Maybe casinos coming down a little. Casino would maybe be back to five hundred on affiliate CPAs at the moment. Yeah, and and then the counterpart of that is obviously the the LTV. As in, is it is it worth it in in, in the US? Uh, and again, this is a super wide uh, wide um, question. I understand that, but let, let's let's say, are we still in land grab mode and we don't care so much about ROI? Or are we now at a place where we do actually have a, a, a somewhat healthy margin between what we pay and what we expect to receive back? Um, I think we'll start with casino. And yep. the casino, the answer is yes. And I think publicly available data shows that. You know, there's a lot of the, a lot of the public listed customers will show. Um, I would say that you know, that it is not uncommon to get two thousand dollar plus lifetime values pretty quickly in casino players. Okay. Okay. Um, and not 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 broadly different. You know, we've we've seen that in Europe for some time. They're, they're much more valuable than sportsbook players. Um, the the sportsbook, um, yes, I think they I think DraftKings and FanDuel in particular both reported that they're seeing positive customer lifetime values at the moment. Um, I do feel that those customers are a little bit a um, little bit easier to lose. You know, with the sport and calendar, it's a little bit harder to keep them. Um, yeah. One of the things you'll see in the US market is. That we don't really get in the in particularly the UK in the soccer driven markets. Um, the NFL football season drives almost a re it's almost like a re engagement, a reacquisition of players. So we'll see a huge that land grab has become very seasonal. So it'll be end of August, September. Um, but I think people are willing to pay to get those players for those seventeen weeks of the NFL season. 
It's the um, Chel- so, yeah, Chel- I mean, I, Cheltenham equivalent uh, in the US. So yeah, speak, the, it is over, over a period of, of four to six weeks that, yes. that people, you know, they know they will then keep those customers for, for a little bit longer period of time. Very good. Um, and while we're on the acquisition side, uh, Pete, so obviously, um, let's say, uh, a necessary evil or uh, a forever discussed uh, point is welcome bonuses and bonus spend in general. Uh, and again, looking from afar, uh, you know, the U.S. operators at least were uh, super aggressive and sitting over here in Europe were like, this is this is going to go bad real quick uh, for, they, for, for, yeah. for them. Um, so, again, what is sort of the, the, you know, what is the current level? Have, have they have they calmed down? Um, you know, how do they deal with bonus spend? It's a massive, massive challenge over here for any operator, right? And uh, advantage play, abuse, uh, syndicates, the the whole the whole gang there. So, yeah, what's the what's the state of state of affairs yeah. over there? Yeah, I, I remember. So, bonus has always been hot topic for me all through my career. And I remember in I think it must have been two thousand and five or two thousand and six, and we were we had the sixtieth anniversary of uh, Victor Chandler, the company being live. And I had this great idea. I said, why don't we, we'll do a 60 pounds free bet. And it was nothing in the UK market. You know, it was all 25 pound free bet as it is mm-hmm. today. It's all come back again. Um, and we did a 60 pound free bet and it was a roaring success. I mean, it was over Cheltenham, I think. Um, over Cheltenham, we had you know, tens of thousands of new customers and we thought it was the greatest thing we've ever done. You know, we're high five and ourselves around the office. And then we got the cost of it, you know, four or five <laughs> weeks later, yeah, when the month ends and we saw the cost of it and we were like, this is insane. You can't, even at that level, 60 pounds, we couldn't make it. So, so kind of fast forward. And I mentioned I was doing some consultant um, before we founded Incline and um, we would do a lot of product launch strategies, promotional strategies. And I, I still, I still have the slide now and I show it, and I showed it in several boardrooms around the U S and I, I told them the story of how European markets learned from having crazy promotions and now everything. So I have this slide that says, look at all these promotions in the UK, 15 pounds, five pounds, parlay, multiple, 20 pounds. And I showed that and I said, nobody will make the mistake here in the US of doing all these crazy promotions. I mean, I could not have been further wrong. I could not have been more wrong because mm-hmm. as soon as we went live, we had, you know, we started with 250 and 500, then 1,000, then 2,000, then 2,500. Um, and it really did get out of control. Um, it, it has calmed down. It, you know, it has calmed down somewhat. Um, there's a couple of things that are really interesting about it, though, is that you know, the, across all of our clients, the average first deposit is $75, I think $72 to be exact. But So, mm-hmm. so offering a $1,000 bonus is, is unachievable for the vast majority of players, mm-hmm. really is unachievable. Um, and also the way that these credits have been handled in a financial aspect and taxation mm-hmm. has actually been beneficial to offer a lot of bonuses because you, know, you were able to deduct that cost from your um, gaming returns, net gaming returns, that's that's been tightened up. So, you know, I think New Jersey just about tightened it up. We just had a reduction in uh, Michigan where we have a client. So, so that is happening, and that will mean that the the uh, sportsbooks and casinos online will be forced to be to be clever. Mm-hmm. I, I think you know, I, th- I think one of the things we do best of all is is the reason why we're not a marketing agency. And I was this is my line about we're a marketing services and not a marketing agency is a marketing agency will come in as a third party and offer to get you new clients yeah, or offer to send you emails. What we have is a team of people who understand promotions. You know, men, well, some from the European markets, some from historic US markets. And you know, we, off, we operate on a really, really strict budget. So um, all of our 
I'm pretty sure if you look at all of our clients, we have the lowest introductory offer in every market. Um, and then we operate on a CRM basis, a lot of targeted personalized bonuses through a couple of CRM platforms that we use. Um, and we're able to, you know, I talk about perceived value a lot. You know, a lot of, a lot of what we're trying to do is offer perceived value without mm -hmm. real financial cost. Mm -hmm. So we're really trying to do that with a lot of our promotions and we've done it, but I'm kind of going down a little bit more micro stuff here, but in terms of the market, uh, if you'd asked me two months ago, I said it was calming down again. I did notice that FanDuel are back out there with two and a half thousand dollars. And there's a few sneaking up there again. Now, you know, there's a lot of their market dominance. They're the market leaders. They are fantastic at everything they do, by the way, FanDuel. Um, and they've probably worked out that they can afford it. Yeah. You know, they are, they're, they're, the, they're the smartest. Um, they're definitely the smartest company in the room at the moment. So, um, you know, maybe, you know, maybe there, there is a, a place for it. But in general, yeah, they've, they have come down a little bit. And I think we're seeing a shift of the user acquisition into more of the CRM personalized where you can award the, the most valuable customers, the bonuses that are required. I can just imagine that right now, or for the last uh, years, actually, there uh, there is some... Uh, very secretive Facebook groups and syndicates sitting uh, around the world, just rolling their hands and uh, getting into the thick of it uh, in the US I, and must have been milking it for the last uh, couple of years. Uh, oh, I, I mean, I, I can, I can, I, I mean, further than that, Michael, I've had, you know, emails of syndicates where they just send Google forms and they will send Google forms to um, university campuses. Okay. You know, and they'll try and recruit and it's PayPal in, PayPal out. So, yeah. um, no, there's a lot of, you know, so that, there's two sides there. There's kind of the, what we would call promotional abuse, yeah, or yeah, advantage, yeah, yeah. promotional advantage taking place. Yeah, and I think yeah. that's part of it that, but eventually, so, so the bigger companies particularly, you know, the, the excellent operators like Fando, they'll be really good at, at cracking down on that and finding yeah. that, and they've got a lot of experience in the market. I think the other side is the side that I'm more interested in, which is just offering too much when you don't need to. Yeah. You know, if why go with a thousand dollar bonus when the average customer the average bet is sixty sixty five dollars yeah it's just it's just not required yeah i um i tend to agree with you it's a it's a really tricky one uh yeah. it, it really is and i think also um uh i think also when the the i don't know actually you you tell me in the u.s um would you say the products um, are much more differentiated than what we see in, in Europe? Like, is there a significant difference if you choose operator A or operator B versus Europe? As, as a um, player, I mean. Maybe, yeah, maybe a, a little bit more in sportsbook than casino. So mm -hmm. I'll, I'll start with casino, yeah. If you, if you look at where we are with casino, mm -hmm. um, the, the big brands, the, the um, game suppliers, so mm -hmm. IGT, Light and Wonder, you know, soon to be aristocrat. Um, NetEnt, a little bit different because NetEnt don't have the land-based heritage here. Mm -hmm. But those four, now I should call NetEnt Evolution, but Evolution does, you know, it is it is mainly the same content on every site. Um, some sites are differentiated with their own, so Entain have a lot of their own content, a lot of jackpot content. You probably argue they've got the strongest casino product out there. Um, so realistically, what can you do with a casino product around the edges with the palm, you know, slightly different promotions, free spins, bonus functionality, a little bit difference there, but you know, the game contents essentially the same, um, especially the most popular games. So, you know, the most popular games are still those IGT classics that I was working on 13 years ago. Yeah. They're still, they're still the games that people want to play and mm -hmm. they recognize them from their land-based casino onto the online device. So yes, there, um, sportsbook, 
I think there's more product differentiation there, especially in terms of the mobile product. So the mobile product, FanDuel again, excellent. You know, DraftKings have done a really good job on their product. Um, somebody like PointsBet's a good example of somebody who probably had a really good product but just couldn't get the market and leverage that they needed mm-hmm. you know, the, to, to get the scale that they needed. But mm-hmm. I think so. Um, if, if you said was there you know, a sportsbook product that could be better, I mean, the, the, it's Bet365, yeah, which is the, yeah. the best product whenever I'm not here, the best product, uh, the, the sportsbook product that I see in the market. And they've you know, said they've been here. They're now in Ohio getting a little bit more serious, but they're gonna I'm sure they're gonna get more serious as the as the upcoming yeah. years. Yeah, you can you can almost sense they're rolling up their sleeves slowly, slowly, uh in in the US. Yeah, and you know, watched sat back and watched a little bit and you know, maybe waited for some of these promotional spending to come down and the market spending to come down. Um, yeah. Although yeah. ironically, I think they're out there with the, the most attractive offer at the moment. I think they've yeah. got to bet one dollar, get two hundred free at the moment. So yeah. so they, you know, they sat back and now they've gone pretty much to the top of that generosity tree yeah agreed um in europe um uh let's say at least on the casino side um maybe it's a slightly cynical view but sort of uh, dumbing it down and looking at it from a, a a normal casino player's view um, I would say product-wise, it's very often, you know, do you want milk, milk, or milk? Like, no matter which casino you choose, product-wise, the product experience, to a large extent, is is the same. Some would say it's a commodity. Um, and, and in general, in markets where your product is a commodity, uh, typically the differentiation comes on the branding side of things or standing for something or having a very unique sort of look and feel, uh, like you said before, the perception uh, layer, so to speak, even though the experience once you log in might be more or less the same. Um, uh, I would say in Europe, we could be a lot better uh, in general across the industry at uh, appreciating the value of building a brand um, taking a stand, uh, having a, a, a USP that you stand by, you communicate it and it per- sort of penetrates in everything that you do. Um, there's too many uh, just doing the same, only focusing on performance marketing and, and, and not willing to, uh, to, to, to invest and go that extra mile on the brand side. Um, at least that's my my uh, version. Uh, how is it in the US? Is the is the so first of all? Do you agree with the European view? Uh, and how does US differ? Because I mean, at least you can see a lot of the bigger brands really investing into very you know A list celebrity brand ambassadors and and uh, and and spending a lot of money. What what's your view? Yeah, so you know, I I traditionally haven't been a brand marketer, so I've traditionally always been a performance marketer, and that and that doesn't mean it's always been Facebook, yeah, because I'm way too old for that. But you know, it was back in the early 2000s. It was you know, which newspaper promo code somebody telephoned up with a promo code from a newspaper, yeah. but you you essentially tracked everything. You know, my view now is that it, it I think in this market, and I learned a lot from the social casino days because social casino market is very successful, highly profitable there's not really a single brand in it i mean it's all performance yeah there's you know you could argue that slotomania is a brand but it's not really you know and um you could argue look aristocrat i've got a huge social casino business they own some of the biggest brands the biggest brands in casino with buffalo and things like that and a very small proportion of their online social casino business comes from a brand lightning link the rest of it are 
you know, new brands that were driven by performance markets. So, so I, I do firmly believe in these days that you do the performance market first, and if you're doing that correctly, then you get the brand crossover. You almost get an organic brand um, overreach, um, and that's that's something that just the, the sheer proliferation of the digital media and everywhere we can go with it now just allows you to. Yeah, we can see so much data, so much reach at where the, where people are seeing it. Do do we need to then have a billboard that someone drives past every day to give some more reach? I don't know. You know, I I, I'm, I struggle with that a little bit. Um, I can understand if you're sportsbook and you want to do TV ads around NFL. I get it. Yeah, there's millions and millions of people watching it. There's a brand reach there. Um, I think that as I should also mention one thing, and we're we're kind of lucky, and we do leverage this fact is that a lot of the casinos that we work with are physical bricks and mortar casinos. Um, and I, you know, I'm going a lot between European and US here, but uh, for anyone who's been to the US will know that a casino here is a little bit different than a casino in you know, Liverpool City Centre, where I used to go, where there was three tables and five slots. And so you know, we work with uh, one of our customers, Four Winds, who have four, well, two very large properties and two other properties in Michigan and Indiana. That's a huge branding experience. You know, that's thousands of players coming through those doors every day probably millions driving past them just off the freeway every day. I think that, Brandon, is really, really important. Now, that's somewhere where um, I really, everyone I meet who's with a, 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 a local casino, let's call it, it doesn't have to be, it can be tribal or commercial, but anybody who's got that brand asset and availability, there's something you can leverage. You know, that, that's the type of stuff that money can't buy. Um, and I think that, that brand um appreciation and value is really underlooked and you know, whenever we talk to casinos and they're considering selling skins selling licenses we always make that make that aware for them mm -hmm. okay so performance marketer at at heart pete yeah and i'd say you know I, i i've always kind of been there it was just yeah. when it was daily mail daily mirror the sun back in the days but um yes yeah i think that i think that you've got to you You need to be able to to show the numbers, and you know the the leakage of that into brand is is where the market's gone and and continues to head. Yeah, and that's a that's a great uh, segue into our next topic, which is uh, around let's say the you know you know a, a big part at yeah. least in my view of uh, performance marketing performing uh, is the technology and the martech stack that you you have behind you or 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 at least uh, within reach of your of your operation um, and again i don't know uh, but i would assume that how has the u.s market been at what is the current state uh, of play for for technology and and have they managed like for example you you mentioned that product wise Sportsbook product-wise, they have actually come out really fast with a super strong product. It, it does the same apply in the marketing world and the Martech stack? Uh, have they have they learned from Europe and, and sort of brought over whatever the best technology they could, or are we still sort of figuring that out in, in the US? What, what what do you see there? I I gotta say I think I think it's actually better than Europe. I think okay. Martech's actually better than Europe because I think what we've done is inherited a lot of the. Look, I mean, I'm I'm sat here and I'm. 25 miles from Facebook, 25 miles from Google, you know, Apple, all these guys. I'm very much in a in a in a technical bubble, techie mm -hmm. bubble here. Mm -hmm. um, so I think what what we've done, especially uh, internally with us, is that you know we had people who worked in native apps in iOS in Google before, and they brought across that you know we have to have the Google suite, and this is how we have to have it integrated. We need a, a mobile measurement partner for attribution purposes. You know, so I think that level is what we've brought from different industries. 
Um, and I mean, I look now, we were the things that we were doing two or three years ago with our fir very first partners, I now see everybody else doing. So, you know, we have a preferred set of partners that we use. We have a preferred setup that we use, almost a, a template, the way that we do it. We focus very heavily on mobile apps. Um, I mean, incredible. It's, you know, 90% plus of all new business comes from mobile apps now. Yeah, you mentioned um, that. That's quite a difference to Europe, right? Uh, Ninety percent through a mobile app, uh, as opposed to as opposed to web being the being the king in Europe in most cases, at least. Yeah, even and there's a couple of um, product reasons for that. So, mobile web in particular is a little bit different, a little bit difficult to do from a regulatory pur purpose. Here. So, you know, a lot of sites you still just can't go on the mobile web, open an account, and place a bet because the geolocation isn't deemed strong enough. You know, whether it is or isn't, but the, the regulators have just deemed it not to be the case. So you often have to um, install a separate app to be able to allow you to use mobile web, which kind of oh. defeats the purpose of doing mobile web. Yeah? So so it's actually easier just to download the app. So a lot of things will direct you immediately to download apps. Um, you know, we we like apps because we just think we get a little bit better tracking and a little bit better, you know, going through. Um, and that's, I take aside the iOS issues that people probably listen to saying, well, what about ATT and things like that? But, you know, we think it's better experience. We're able to get people straight to app store pages than straight to the app. Um, and the conversion rates are just stronger. Yeah. And that's, mm. you know, I mean, that's, I'm, I'm sure I'm not giving anything away there, but everyone knows that if you get somebody on an app, you convert that player at a higher rate to deposit, um, and you retain them longer. Yeah. So, you know, I think, I think Martex, Martex something that we've, you know, we've, We've been very hot on, and we get a lot of pushback off of um, PAM providers, of technology providers, particularly European technology providers. Um, and they, they, you know, I, I talk to a lot of them all the time, so so they know I. We work with them on multiple clients. The first one's normally the most painful. Once we've once we've got the correct setup, the Martech setup for the first one, then normally the second and third are easier. Um, and then I'd also say that, you know, MarTech on CRM is really crucial. And I, I think that's where Europeans came in and really upped the game here. Um, because when we launched, we inherited some, you know, I would say um, land-based products for CRM, you know, mm. that were essentially email providers, you know, things like that, that, that were never really suitable. And I do think in our industry, we're still pretty niche. You know, our, our industry, you need a really solid industry CRM provider. Mm. Um, and you know, we we work with a couple. Um, everyone's probably heard the names, but you know, I mean, Optimove is probably the one that we work with mostly at the moment. Um, but that ability to take all of that modeling and that industry experience is really crucial. Really crucial because it's yeah, so we're in a niche industry. You need all of these learnings that you can that you can get. And um, if there's one thing we learn as well, you know, we I think this has changed about marketing over the last few years. You know, you need you have to have the right third party partners. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not, you have to have the right technology partners because if you don't have the technology, then it doesn't matter how many skills, how many experience, how many smart people I can bring in here. If we don't have the tools, there's nothing they can build. Yeah. Uh, and speaking of that, third party versus in-house, uh, uh, at least my impression is that a lot of the uh, US uh, operators um, are very inclined to have everything in-house themselves and it, or, or build it themselves as opposed to using third-party uh, providers uh, and to some extent true in, in Europe as well but but what's your view on that is that is that correct well I so I, I tell it because it's a market and podcast I can say this but I say that um, I've never met a company who wants to build everything themselves but I've met thousands of CTOs who want to do it yeah. <laughs> so we have C the CTO always wants to build it themselves. Yeah. Well, yeah. guess why? Yeah. There's a reason. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
So, 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 yeah, I think that I, we don't get significant pushback from organizations to do it, but we do from CTOs. Yeah. And I think that is one of the, you know, that is a, a discussion I am having very, very regularly. Yeah? On a daily where basis. Where we go in and we talk to the, yeah, yeah, we talk to the CTO and the CEO. You know, and I, 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 I have a lot of things that say, but I, I'll, I'll often say, look, you, you, when you drive a car, yeah, it's not, you know, the car stereo, the speakers aren't made by the person who driven the car. Yeah, who built the car, you know, so so we need these 35 things. And, you know, yeah. if you can build something as good as Optimove or Apps Flyer or Google, some of them think they can build Google web tracking, yeah? um, then you just focus on what's important. We have so many, so many complex parts of our industry, you know, yeah. where, with verification and KYC verification, deposits, payments, all of these things that are so crucial to get into mm -hmm. a good PAM. Mm -hmm. um, you, know, you don't want to be wasting your time with those boring marketing. Yeah. You just focus on the cool techie stuff and let us just plug mm -hmm. a few things in. Yeah, I, I fully agree with you. And um, you mentioned the CRM side as well before. So when you hear the CEOs of the of the top US operators speaking at conferences or, or their, their quarter reports or whatever, um, for, for you know some time now, the, 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 the omni, omni channel is the buzzword, right? And like you said as well, uh, the U.S. scene is different because a lot of these guys have uh, land-based properties as well and have a, an insanely large database coming from either fantasy or apparel or land-based casinos or, 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 or similar, right? So, so is omnichannel a buzzword? Are they managing to achieve that? And sort of if I'm a, if I'm a casino player that have been in the land-based environment, is my journey today fairly seamless switching into online to a mobile app back to the land-based casino or is is this more of a buzzword and there's far a, a long way to go before we actually achieve this for the for the end user so huge differentiation here yeah? so sportsbook omnichannel i think so i think for the words of a former president it's fake news you know the yeah. the online business is so much larger than the land than the sportsbook retail business that mm -hmm. it's it's almost irrelevant you know i think we're at 97 98 now online so so in sportsbook, I think that's irrelevant. I don't mm -hmm. think that. I don't think that's worth the effort. Mm -hmm. Casino, land-based casino is still far, far, far larger than online casino. You know, mm -hmm. and billions and billions and billions of dollars behind it. It's going to be a lot of years if it ever catches up. Mm -hmm. So there is absolutely a play in omni-channel casino. Mm -hmm. um, they are. Um, I also we haven't really mentioned offshore and the, the you know the impact of offshore. Offshore still occurs in sportsbook. It's a little bit less so in casino. So therefore, you've got all of these casino players um, who are very used to the land-based machines and the ticket in, ticket out functionality um, that you can and you can introduce them to that online um, casino experience. Mm. Um, we know that U.S. consumers are insanely loyal through loyalty loyalty cards, loyalty programs. I mean, it's mm -hmm. insane. You just can't. Um, I saw a report yesterday. There's something like seventy-two percent. Um, of players um, rate loyalty card as the most important thing in there, not just in casino, in everything. In U.S. consumer life, 72% of people think a loyalty card is the most important thing. Wow. So taking that loyalty card play and integrating it online and giving a seamless experience. So you give the same games, you give almost the same promotions, you know, you give very the same loyalty points, you give similar redemptions. That's really, really crucial. Um, there's a few technical reasons why it's a little bit difficult to do because, you know, IGT, Aristocrat, Konami tend to own the land-based systems 
and neither of them have been very good in the in the online systems yet. So linking the two loyalty programs, you know, essentially building another one and linking it back is, you know, we're working with several clients at the moment on that. Um, a couple of people, there's a few people who have done it so far. Um, I don't think anyone's got it, you know, above the 70% strike rate type of thing, but um, I think that's a big part. And as more states casinos open up, that'll, that'll be a big, big part of the business going forward. Yeah, but what do you? Th what is the current sort of status? Like, are, are the are the are the casinos optimizing? Like on, on the casino side, is omnichannel happening? Is it uh, seamless? So it's, is it uh, is yeah. it you know ninety percent there, fifty percent there? What well, give us no, sort of a feeling? I, it's not. It's not. Yeah, it might be fifty percent there. Being generous, I think the registration process. So a lot of people have integrated registration process. Yeah. So you know you, the ability when you sign up to use a card number and ingest your data mm -hmm. um, and link the play together in some respect. Um, I, you know, I I can't think. I think so. MGM have probably done the best job, um, but I say that you know that's got a little bit of a, an asterisk because they're a hotel, you know, and I, certainly when I use MGM, it's more about the hotel points rather than anything else. Mm. So they've they've got a, a Caesars have, have done a pretty good job, um, but it, I think you know there's still a long way to go. There's still a long way to go to be to see when you see people in the casinos yeah, and they're all lined up with their card and they're putting it in the machine. It's it's everything for them. you know carded carded players. The term they use it's it means so much to a casino player. I don't think it quite means the same online yet. Great. Um, my day job, Pete, when I do podcast, is uh, working in the in the live streaming space uh, with with live spins and in general. So we work a lot with influencers, with streamers, uh, brand ambassadors, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, and again, if we look into the US sort of space, um, uh, the investment and sort of the entertainment factor, I guess I would say, is sort of much higher uh, in in, in yeah. the US. Like um, joking, jokingly, I I, I say. It's like if you're born in the US, you're born with PowerPoint in your hand. And if you're born in Europe, you're born with an Excel sheet or a Word document in your hand. Sort of sort of jokingly, like from, from birth, like everyone is just great presenters and and, and entertainers to, to a large extent. Um, what is your, so from an acquisition perspective, what is your view in the US in terms of influencers and streamers and, and that sort of way of... Um, let's say uh, acquiring players, or, or or or, and also another another area is um, the casino space in the U.S. is typically said to be quite older demographic, uh, and that's one of the challenges that the casinos have is how do we bring in a younger demographic um, because we can't uh, uh, you know stick with the with the plus plus fifties for 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 the rest of our days here. Yeah. I, so firstly, on that point, that that's kind of can we stay with the plus fifties? That's been. I remember my first week at IGT, and somebody said to, that to me. It was a big presentation. They said, "Look, how do we get the younger demographic in?" I'll never forget a, a wise old owl at the back of the thing said, "Well, well why do we need to?" I said, "There's always people turning fifty. <laughs> Forever and ever, there's going to be people going fifty. So, you know, do we just stay with that demographic?" I thought that was one of the that was the one of the most enlightening things I ever I ever learned about demographics. Yeah, if there's no need to lower your demographic as long as people, you know, as long as life expectancy doesn't come down to 49 we're okay yes. targeting 50 pluses yes. so i think that's one part look at it influencers um you know we, we've got a, we've got a couple of partners who do a lot of work in influencers i tracking is definitely a concern with it you know i think it i think when we were talking about performance marketing versus brand for me it goes more into the brand element mm -hmm. um i don't i don't think that 
you, know, you can get lot. There are lots of slots influencers out there who target fifty-five-year-old females, which is the sweet spot for the slots market. So, mm -hmm. so there are certainly influencers out there who can do it. Um, I just think you need a little bit better tracking. Now, how does that tracking come around? It's unlikely we're going to be able to do it with a with a mobile measurement partner. So, it would probably need somebody like Twitter, TikTok, Instagram to be able to somehow integrate some tracking that they're very comfortable to pass across yeah mm -hmm. um and that may happen yeah because those platforms twitter in particular are you know they're, they're under pressure for for revenues and profitability so so that may come in the future but i think you know if you want to do and a lot of the casino partners we have they will get people who will call them and say if i get a free hotel room for the weekend i'll come and live stream on a machine on your floor and it, it's underestimated there are hundreds of people doing that every weekend and there, there's a lot of People who think that's a, a way to a quick book as such, but you know, for me, I'm I'm not convinced yet until we can until we can prove it, you know, yeah. until we can see an ROI and we can we can get some actual data on it. There's a data point missing there. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Very good. Um, let's move in to a little bit uh, looking into the crystal ball and sort of uh, predictions uh, uh, for the for the future. Uh, uh, how do you, uh, Pete, predict the US? iGaming market, so the the US version of iGaming, so casino effectively. How do you? So today we are in what six states licensed, uh, I believe. Uh, how how do you think this will unfold in sort of the next one to two years? Yeah, so so the first one, you know, isn't a marketing question, isn't a product question. It's a politics and regulatory question. Yeah, how many more states can we get online? I mean, of the let's say there's kind of five states you know we one of them is very very small but um of those five states yeah has this been a success casino online casino and i think the the overwhelming answer is yes and some of the revenues that are being driven are far in excess of any of the sportsbook revenues being tax revenues being driven for the states um there's been you know i always we used to say years ago yeah when you the the one day you didn't want when you were at victor chandler was that you didn't want to be on the front page of the Daily Mail about either a famous person betting with you or a 15-year-old getting their parents' credit card and betting with you. They were the two things. We haven't had any of those, you know, in the two or three years, a um, little bit, obviously a lot longer in New Jersey, but in the, in the two or three years of widespread, we haven't had any of those scandals yet. So we're pretty confident that everything's working as it should. The geo partners are working, the KYC's working, the safeguards are the responsible gamers in play. So I think that's all good. So the industry's done pretty much everything it can marketing's been pretty responsible all that so so now it's just how can we get more states regulated um and it's slow and it's some of it's painful um and the honest answer is i don't know how many we're going to get in one or two years but it's probably going to be a low number you know it's probably going to be pretty low sportsbook seems to be the, the more comfortable route to entry for these states so you've probably got to look at somebody who's already done sports somebody who's got a border state that is doing casino. So somebody like Indiana, Iowa, you know, maybe Illinois, that kind of Midwest reach. Um, so hopefully we get one, two, maybe three of those states. That That's the, the number one or the most important thing in, in casino. Secondly um, is these, the sportsbook brands that are really focused on casino. So mm -hmm. I think that's going to continue because that's where the profitability is. And the more data you get on lifetime values, You know, the, the more, you know, every casino in the country, every land-based casino in the country knows how much more valuable a slots player is than a sportsbook player. Mm -hmm. And that's going to, the more data that comes out. So that's that's the second one. Um, and I think third one is is more about responsible market um, and responsible gaming. And, you know, we've got to be incredibly careful here and self-governing 
um, so that we we don't get the the regulatory market pressure that the UK, for example, or you know even worse, Italy or Spain or things like that again. Um, and I think in the in the in the for the major part we are, you know, I think I think we are pretty responsible in the messages we put out there. Um, you know, somebody like Ontario has been pretty harsh on what we can say. Free bets have gone entirely out of Ontario now, um, and I think we might get some more of that. Might not be a bad thing. You know, if, if if states say that you're not allowed to advertise free bets, the discussion we had 20 minutes ago about the cost of free bets, that might solve that as well. But I think that would be the three big things. You know, where did the new states come from? Do these sportsbooks brands continue to focus more on casino? Um, and then, you know, be responsible. You know, and it's not just responsible gaming on an individual level that we all, you know, we all um, profess to, but it's responsible market. Yeah. No, agreed. Um, and uh, back to the topic we started on, sort of the CPA levels and lifetime values that we're seeing today. If you had to make a wild guess, sort of over the next one or two years, do you think they will remain as they are, lower, higher? How do you think that's going to play out? I think. I mean, I, I think you know we are we are significantly lower than the figures I'm giving you, by the way, on casino. But you know, I think that it. And let's just say there's a figure. If if, if it is proven that two thousand gross let's say that goes down to maybe 1200 net and you can recruit players at $500. There's going to be a lot of people in the market who are very willing to do that. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's not a market that's going to, that's going to go away. So I think 500 on casino is a, is a good um, water level to use. Um, and I think sports, but I think they'll come down a little bit more. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that um, there'll be a lot more, you mentioned Cheltenham, yeah, but I, mean, I remember Cheltenham Grand National, yeah, that it was the market's dream. You could make yourself look like a world beater for four weeks yeah because you could acquire players at 10 15 pounds each and mm-hmm. all of your cpas look great and then four weeks later you realize those players weren't worth anything mm-hmm. i think we'll get a little bit more of that in sports you know, yeah i think we'll get away from the, the the crazy push around super bowl and you know that type of event mm-hmm. and there'll be a lot more focus on these long-term value sports players yeah that a lot of them are still offshore i mean it's, it's crazy how big the offshore industry still is here yeah um and that's what you know we would hope that the regulators control that a little bit better as well yeah so uh a slightly um uh, related question but uh not something we have uh, we have uh, uh, spoken about before um so the u.s market is like you said is very very concentrated around the the, the tier one the, the the big boys right um uh, yeah. so it's, it's very very condensed uh, if we compare that to europe we have, I don't know what the number is, 5,000 casinos and there is a massive aggregator business um, uh, happening because it's a, and 500 game providers. So whatever the numbers are over here, it's, it's impossible to keep track of. In the US, that's not the case yet. Um, is, it, is it possible nowadays for a casino only, smaller casino to enter the US market and, uh, and make a success out of it with the, with the, Let's say the, the the sort of the market as it stands today. Depends what we're calling a smaller casino. So if we're talking about a small online only operator who operates in yes, you know, let's online say, only in, in casino. One state. Yeah, yeah, really tough. I mean, really tough. The, the barriers to entry are high because the number of licenses states are you know, much fewer states, mm-hmm. fewer licenses within those states. So so they're going to have to be very well funded to be able to just afford the market access because that's going to run in the tens, if not hundreds, of millions of dollars. But let's say um, we so barriers, let's, say we, let's say we have covered that. Let's say we have a market yeah. access. We're now at the starting line. We're in the three big states or or whatever it is. Just from yeah, a pure can, brand and marketing perspective, can you can you grow a business 
The, yeah, you can. You uh, can yeah. because in casino, your lifetime values are going to be so much higher because you're going to you're going to have roughly the same product because you know, unless unless you've really upset IGT or Aristocrat in the past, you're going to be able to get the content. You know, they're not. They're very you know widely distributing this content, so you can get the content. You can get the same product, um, and then it ultimately just comes down to: can you do a good job market? Mm-hmm. Can you get the players in at less than 500? Can you get them in cheaper than everybody else? Because mm-hmm. you know the lifetime values are going to, they'll follow through. If the product's the same, if the product's strong, if you're bringing over good CRM people, then yes, you can. Yeah. And there, there, are, there are a few people trying that. You know, in, in New Jersey, New Jersey's got more casino licenses than other states. Yeah. So you can get there. You know, it doesn't cost $100 million to get access in New Jersey. So there are a few, there are a few um, let's call them smaller European organizations that are trying that there at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and you may even see, you know, so you've seen a lot of the um, European sportsbooks come over that they're not as small as the people you're talking about, but you know, the, I'm just running some names, but Betway, typical, you know, these Betfred, these people who have maybe not had the success they envisaged in sportsbook, they, mm-hmm. you, know, you may see them pivot to casino mm-hmm. because they'll have more chance in casino to, to get profitable quickly. Do you think we're going to see the same in the US one day as we see in Europe, like with this massive uh, amount of brands and aggregators and providers coming in? Will will the same thing happen in the US or will there? I don't think I don't. No, I don't think we will, because I I said I said earlier on about, you know, this is states of 50 countries within a continent. Yeah, we just all speak the same language. But the fact that we do speak the same language means that we see the same brands and we share the same media and we share the same online experiences and things like Mm -hmm. that. So, Mm -hmm. so therefore, that's why these, I think we get, it's like taken, um, I'm going to default to the UK, Yeah, but yeah, it's like why England, Scotland, Wales, and Northern Ireland don't have different brands. Yeah, they're all different countries. Mm. But because they kind of consume the same media and consume the same brands and things like mm. that, I think that's how you're going to see the US progress here. Yeah? Because we do, you know, we we still consume the same things. You know, our supermarkets are branded the same and things like that. So I think that's you know, and that's where FanDuel in particular have been really clever. You know, because FanDuel they had the operational expertise of their European Paddy Power Betfair, and they understood that if we build this this commonly seen brand across everything, mm-hmm. then we'll get the reach. Mm-hmm. So it's 50 different countries, but it's the same ecosystem or media landscape because mainly yeah. driven by language, so to speak, like you're saying, you can read uh, and, and all the media networks is uh, so distributed and accessible in, in all 50 states nowadays. So uh, especially the, especially the digital ones. Yeah. So, you know, there's, there's regional TV shows, but there's not regional Facebook or Google. Yeah. No, exactly. Except for everyone. Exactly. Okay, uh, two questions left here. What would be your top three tips to other operators considering entering the US? So I, I'm going to repeat. I think we've covered a lot, Michael. So some yes. apologies if some of this is repeated. That's but, good. Um, I, think, I think the first thing is understanding the difference between casino and sportsbook. Mm-hmm. And the, 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 the biggest, the biggest um, error I see sometimes is people say, we're going to launch a sportsbook and then we'll cross-sell to casino. That's not how the casino market works here. Um, FanDuel had a great slide in their investor relations um, doc in, I think, November that showed, you know, 20% of the casino market of the total available market comes from sportsbook crossover. Yeah. And, you know, I would say, I said to everyone, go into the biggest, next time you're in Vegas, go into the biggest casino, look at how many people are playing slots and then count how many people are in the sportsbook and then see if they look even remotely similar. They don't. Yeah. One's a female heavy demographic, one's a male heavy yeah. demographic. So, so I think don't come in thinking that Sportsbook just cross-sells to casino. It's a different yeah. market and it's a different demographic. That's number one. Um, number two, and this goes back to more my consultant days than um, marketing days, but 
the, the biggest error I see from companies entering a market is they will come in and they'll have aim and objective and it'll say, we will get 5% market share. And that's it. And they say, we're going to get 5% market share. And I always say, you have to build it bottom up because if you don't understand the cost of getting a new customer and how much that customer will contribute to your business, there's no point ever talking about market share. So, you know, start with a bottom up model. So start with the first thing on the, the first thing on that sheet shouldn't be how much do customer support staff cost yet or how much is my server going to cost? It should be how much a customer costs and how much I get out of them. And then from then, you know how many customers you can afford and then you know how big your server needs to be and you need to know how many customer support staff you need. But I see so many people build the models the wrong way. Um, and then the third thing we've already touched upon, which is MarTech. And if you don't get the MarTech right, it's just a world of pain. And it, you know, it's, it's one of these things, if you don't get it live on launch, then you're always in, I call it phase 2.x because it's never coming. You know, it's, if you don't get it there when you're ready to launch, you're never going to get the smart tech right further down the line. So, mm -hmm. you know, get it right when you launch. Those are three fantastic tips, Pete. Okay, last question. What is your best advice for marketers working with the US markets? Well, is this people here or is this people in Europe? Doesn't matter. Any any marketer that, well, uh, that's with working so, with the with the US markets. I, I'll give you the biggest pain points. So we could take all business aside. You could be the smartest cookie in the industry. Um, nobody's found a way to beat time zones. So time zones <laughs> and time differences is by far the, the toughest thing to work with. Yeah, as you're you know as you're sat there about to enjoy an evening glass of wine, and I I've had one cup of coffee here. Yeah. So so number one is that you know. If you, I get a lot of people who are used to it in Europe who say that, and I'll say, look, you know what? I've probably got something for you, but you're going to have to work 1 p.m. till 9 p.m. Yeah. or something like that. Yeah, there's got to yeah. be a really good bit of crossover. So I think you have to be realistic, right? And if yeah. and if you've got a nice life there and you you know you like your evening social time, don't don't kill yourself over time zones. Yeah, yeah. Um, I've got used to it. Yeah, I've been here 13 years and started at 7 a.m. every morning now, so it just you gradually get used to it. But that's the first one. Um, I think the second one is that we're still a very niche industry and we see we see so many people in the US that you know these great big marketing agencies top 5 top 7 agencies they see this what this shiny object and they're like you know we've got to get a piece of that and they send all of their their A salesmen out and they'll say this is how we're going to do it you know and they've got no idea because they're doing campaigns for Amazon where it's an install and it's a purchase and that's it um, and we still, you know, I tell everybody here, yeah, the industry knowledge is so important here because we've got to, you know, one of the first things we do is one of our sister companies, iGaming Academy, we put anybody who's joined us who has no industry experience, we put them through a couple of weeks of training on the industry, understand what a verification process is, understand what a casino player wants, yeah, understand geolocation because that's really, really crucial. Now, I remember somebody, somebody said to me years ago that, um, you know, and, and I, I come from a, a kind of a failed youth sports background where I was never good enough to be, be where I wanted. But the next best thing was always to work in sports bet. So there was, there was quite a few of us who, who went that way. And, mm. um, you know, somebody, somebody said to me probably, they said that you don't have to love this industry. You don't have to love betting to work in it, but you can't hate it. And I thought yeah. that always resonated. Yeah, that yeah. You have to have that little bit of passion and you, know, you need that bit of passion. And if you just come in as a, a marketer who has no interest in what's going on, it's not going to work. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then I'm going to come back third. I'm going to come back again, repeat myself, but MarTech, you know, understanding MarTech. And for anybody 
for anybody who's in market and who doesn't understand martech just try and learn like the basic 20 percent of it you know understand what an event is understand what a trigger is understand attribution and things like that and i you know five years ago i knew nothing i still don't i still know like i know 10 percent of what some of my guys do some of the some of the techie geeky guys i've got here but um you know i think that we used to be market on one side of the room and technology on the other side of the room and we never used to speak and you know we did tv commercials and we put ads in newspapers now it's integrated yeah now we you have to build relationships with the developers because yeah you have to understand what they're doing very good that's fantastic i actually have a bonus question for you pete if you're up for it go for it so you are your uh, experience is uh, is very unique in the sense uh, from a marketing perspective as well where you have been both working with a social casino and and real money casino uh, mm-hmm. so one of the um, you know, like we spoke about crossover from sports betting to, to casino. Uh, I think there is a lot of um, uh, casino managers out there or, or marketeers so say, okay, what are the sort of the, the circle outside of casino? So we've already sort of, you know, we've reached all that we think we have reached all the casino players in, in, in the inner circle. What are the circles outside? And the, the thing that keeps popping up again and again is the either the video game industry or the social casino industry. So... And there's a lot of research on it, actually, and, and everyone is sort of giving different numbers and different views. So having worked in both, both experiences, uh, let's answer it once and for all, Pete. Like, do you think a social casino player uh, has a natural crossover into real money casino? And if you dare answer the same question for, uh, let's say, video gamers or, or gamers or esports, yeah. whatever you want to call it, what's your view? So video game, zero. Wrong demographic. Totally wrong demographic. Um, social casino, absolutely. So a lot of the things that we do here that we've had a lot of success with our marketing campaigns are what mm-hmm. what we learned in social casino. Um, you know, the social casino market, you know, and I, I had the, the few years that yeah, was only came around because real money gaming was not widely available. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. why social casino isn't huge in the UK. That's why it's never been huge in the rest of Europe. Yeah, it came around because there was uh, a demand to play online slots that was not legally allowed to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, that barrier is down now, mm-hmm. it, but in, you know, in five states, yeah, six with Delaware, but it, mm-hmm. it, so it's only down in a very, very small percentage, 10% of the population. Um, yeah. Those, yeah, I would say that um, if I had a social casino, I don't know this because I haven't worked there for two or three years, but I would be pretty sure that a social casino market share has fallen in Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania. You know, I don't know that for a fact, but I, I'm pretty sure that will have happened. So, um, yes, a lot of the stuff we do, we target social casino players. We think that the real money product is a lot better. It's certainly more socially responsible. You know, there's no there's no responsible gambling in social casino. Yeah. So, um, absolutely, yeah, and yeah. We got through like an hour and 15, then you gave away the secret of our business right at the end, Michael. But that's okay. we, <laughs> we, almost, we almost made it. We enjoyed talking until then, we, yeah. We almost made it. Well, that sounds good. Very good. Cool. Uh, Pete, any uh, final thoughts or things you want to bring up from, from your side? No, I don't think so. I mean, I think, you know, I, when we say I, I'm not a unique experience, I know you said a unique experience. There's a lot of people now who have moved from Europe to the US and worked in similar roles. Um, there, maybe I was one of the first. You know, maybe I was, maybe I was eight years too soon. But um, you know, I think that the the merging of the European skills and experiences with some of the martech and the the digital market experience that exists, you know, in the US, particularly where I am on the West Coast. You know, this has been a 
very much a stronghold of it because of the, the prevalence of the large digital companies. Um, but, you know, I think it, this is still a great industry to work in from when I was you know, 25 years ago taking my first bet at Ladbrokes. Um, it's still a great place to work, yeah, and it's a fun place to work, and that's one of the things. You know, I have people who are in jobs that are not fun sometimes, and that's what we sometimes forget, yeah. It's still a, it's a great, fun industry to work in. Happy to not be working in banking, that's for sure. Pete, if, yeah. uh, if anyone wants to reach you or InclineBet, what's the, what's the best way? Um, well, our website is incline.bet, um, and my, web, my email, feel free to contact, is pete at incline.bet. Nice and short. Nice and simple. That's how we yeah. like it. That's good. Pete, it's been an absolute pleasure uh, spending an hour and six minutes uh, together. Uh, hope uh, well, Let's do a round two uh, somewhere further down the road and, uh, and keep following the, the US marketing uh, landscape, so to speak, if you don't mind, if you're up for it. Sounds great. Thanks for the opportunity, Michael. Perfect. Have a nice day, Pete. We'll keep in touch. Thanks. You too. Have a Cheers. good evening. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.